You have just downloaded the planet's hardest, bestest killer movie podcast. Chill out and smoke this, motherfucker. Everyone else can say you're just a bastard. It's the Smoking Lamb Podcast. Join the herd at thesmokinglamb.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the Smoking Lamb. Welcome to the family, bitch. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 113 of The Smoking Lamb. I'm Mike Parkin, your host, and joining me tonight is Stephen Lockridge. Hello, hi Mike. <clears throat> Just the two of us tonight, unfortunately Ricky is ill and uh, Josh is hopped continents over to the US, so... Um, the last, yeah. last he was seen was um, on some sort of log flume or something. Hope he doesn't drown. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're going to crack on with the show tonight. Uh, we're going to be, uh, we're gonna be uh, reviewing uh, two films which are currently available on Netflix. That is Velvet Buzzsaw and Polar. And also we're going to have our own take on the latest M. Night Shyamalan flick, Glass. But before we get into all that, we're going to be talking about the top five, which this week is going to be the films from years 1995 down to 1991. But before we even get to that, before we even get to that, we're going to discuss some news. Woody's Roundup, right here every day. Woody's Roundup, come on, it's time to play. Yes, no. (laughs) Okay, so... Let's um let's get the Oscars out of the way first. So <clears throat> Oscar noms have come out in between, you know, since our last episode. Yeah. Um, and and they're quite a mixed bag, you know. The, the, yeah. For once, there's there's no <clears throat> one film which looks like it's going to do a clean sweep, um, because not one film has been nominated in every category, which is quite unusual. Yeah, you got a point. I mean, you've got like, you know, Roma, mm-hmm. and the favourite. You know, they've got like ten yeah. apiece, but there's no. To me, I don't. There doesn't seem to be a clear front runner as such. Not really. In, no. in most categories. Yeah. Well, let's let's run through some of the major ones. So we start yeah. off with the um, uh, best leading actor. So we've got uh, Christian Bale in Vice, where he's playing. Um, is it Mitt Dick. Romney? Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney, the other guy. Okay, Dick Cheney. Uh, and he, he does look like he's totally immersed himself. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. Um, Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born. Uh, Willem Dafoe in At Eternity's Gate. Uh, Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody. And Viggo Mortensen in Green Book. So, uh, quite quite an interesting mix. The only one I'm not, yeah. I don't know much about is At, At Eternity's Gate. I don't um, know if I've checked that out yet. No, that's um, the one I've definitely not seen yet. I'm not even don't even know when it's coming out. Has it yeah, got a release date over here yet? Or? Not here, no. I don't think so. <coughs> um, obviously, Rami Malek, you know, does a pretty decent Freddie Mercury impression by all accounts. Yeah. Um, it, no, he does. He does. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he's he's the probably the best thing about the film, to be honest. 
Yeah, that's what, that's what, that's what I keep hearing. Um, yeah. Now, Viggo Mortensen, um, now the film Green Book has hit a bit of controversy. It's it's a story of a... Viggo plays this guy who's hired by a black gay musician um, to basically escort him um, on a tour around the... Um, the southern states of America back in the, I don't know when it's set, sort of the 60s. I think. 60s, I think, yeah. yeah I think so, so. so, you know, sort of uh, racial tensions are, are rife, so he, he feels the need for a um, a white guy helping him out. And it's it's kind of like a buddy comedy, um, you know, one of these sort of um, very sort of, it's a typical sort of Oscar-worthy film. Excuse yeah. Me. <clears throat> but the difference here is that uh, Vigo Mortensen is kind of playing the what is usually reserved for like the, uh, the black character, you know, the sort of the, the mystical black guy who helps the white guy get better, kind of thing. Mm. You know, sort of thing that um, Morgan Freeman and uh, Will Smith have both done in the films like um, The Legend of Bag of Vance and things like that. Yeah. Um, but here he's the guy who sort of <clears throat> to open up sort of, um, this, this black sort of musician um i looked at the trailer earlier i i, I thought it looked all right actually i must admit i don't know if it's oscar worthy i don't um you know and vega mortensen's one of those actors i've always liked ever since he was in things like um american yakuza back in the 90s yeah um before before he became a bit more famous but anyway um yeah so good on him for getting a nod, a nod at the very least same yeah, with Willem I mean, Dafoe, it was really, because, you know, he's, he's one of those actors, he, he seems to be, oh, of that bunch, yeah. Willem Dafoe is is this sort of old school method actor, isn't he, you know, so he, yeah. Whoa, 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 you, you can't say method actor and not include Christian Bale in that statement, yeah, I'm sorry, but, <laughs> I'm sorry, but no, that's not happening. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, you're right, because Christian Bale, you know, uh, for... Uh, also filmed the machinist that he did. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He, he lost yeah. a shit ton of weight, didn't he? So he went up vir- virtual anorexic. Um, no, he was awful. Role. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you you, you kind of right, but but I, th- I still think Willem Dafoe is, is more sort of old school. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't see. I don't want to go into. I think it's going to win because obviously mm. we've got. I, I presume we're doing our pool again. I imagine this year. we are. Yeah, which I'll which I'll lose by millions of points as usual <laughs> but it, it again it's it's quite open mm. i mean I'll, I'll, I'll say there's one front runner i think i think's gonna get it but whether he deserves it or not i don't know like, nah, nah. Mm-hmm. you know well, it's definitely one of them on, i mean you say that's open i mean look at the uh the supporting actor um panel i mean okay so i can't pronounce his name uh mahesh ali Ali from green book um as we just mentioned adam driver in black klansman yeah um sam elliott in a star is born richard e grant uh can you ever forgive me and sam rockwell in vice so so i think sam rockwell's playing george George yes Um, junior um I'll be honest. I think that's this one to me is the one that's got a, a massive front runner. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't see anyone else winning it. I can't see Adam in my. Um, no, I put it this way. Um, I think the guy who's going to win it has won it before, very recently. Uh, Let's put it that way. Right, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Which is kind of why I, I think he shouldn't. But there you go. Anyway, 
moving on to actresses, uh, we've got Yalitza Aparicio. Part of this, is what I'm <laughs> sorry, I, 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 I'm trying to read my screen. Yalitza Aparicio in Roma, Glenn Close in The Wife. Olivia Coleman in The Favourite, Lady Gaga in A Star Is Born, Melissa McCarthy in Can You Ever Forgive Me? Now, that's an interesting nod, um, you know, for a comedy actress. Mm. I, I don't think it's a comedy role, though, is it? Um, no, from what I can gather, no. Yeah. It's... Yeah. I'll be honest, it's one of them years where I've not seen that many. No, exactly, Because yeah. they haven't I've, a, been released there yet, or I've just not gotten around to watch them yet. Um, I started Rome, I think I lasted about five minutes. Yeah, it sounds like a misery fest to me. I, I, <laughs> it's not, I, I, it's I, not what I watch films for, you know. Yeah, I, I, I will watch it. I will watch it before the Oscars, but mm-hmm. at the minute, there's just different things that are, yeah. that are there in front of me. But again, I I think there is a favourite in this one. Mm-hmm. But it's one of them where anyone could take it. Anyone could take it at the moment, yeah. I think. Like you saying before, I think that's that's the main thing this year. I don't think a lot of a lot of them in, in, aren't nailed on. Yeah. Okay. You know. So quickly go through the uh, supporting actress roles. We've got Amy Adams in Vice, Marina de Tavira in uh, Roma, Regina King in If Beale Street Could Talk, Emma Stone and Rachel Vice in The Favorite. Mm. Only have one. One actress is the lead in that one, but yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised that all three of them have had a nod. Um, yeah, didn't sort of follow the work. Um, yeah, so now if Beale Street could talk is a film I've heard a lot, you know, a, a lot of buzz about, even though I don't actually know anything about the film itself, mm. um, which, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, the favourite is very good. This is one we have definitely seen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Let's go down to the directors. Okay, uh, Spike Lee for Clansman. Yep. Uh, okay, uh, Cold War. To get a nod, I'm not going to try. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to it's pa- Pavel Pavlikowski. But they, yeah, um, that's not bad for you, Mike. <laughs> I think that's pretty fair pretty spot enough. on. That pretty fair attempt. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favourite, um, Alfonso Cuaron for um, Roma, yeah. uh, Adam McKay for Vice. Um, it really depends on you know, how drunk they are. <laughs> it's... Uh, I mean, how many times has Cuaron run it now? How many times has he won it? Yeah. Uh, did, he, did he get anything for... 21 grams or I'm sure. I don't know if he's ever won it or not he's probably been nominated I think he had a best did he have I think he had best foreign film with the Maros oh maybe yeah maybe yeah and didn't he do that Babel one with Babel yeah yeah that didn't get nominated no that didn't get nominated no of course not yeah um, Cold War is a Polish film shot in black and white. Looks very good, um, sort of you know relationship movie. Um, it's good to see Spike Lee getting a nomination. Um, yeah, to be honest, Black Klansman was one of my favourites of last year. I thought it was a great film. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Spike Lee. I've seen some of his films, and you know some of them are okay. Then you've got atrocities like Old Boy. Um, hmm. 
but no, I thought he, he definitely deserves a nod for this. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a great film. Great film. Um, any other categories we want to sort of have a quick look at? Is there a best picture one? There should be, shouldn't there? Yeah, I think there is. <laughs> but sorry, sorry, it just happens to be the. I mean, the website I'm looking at, which is the Oscar website, <laughs> the best motion picture one is way down the bottom. Um, anyway, yeah, because that's that'll be the last one on the night. Yeah, that's, that's true. So, best motion picture of the year nominees: we've got Black Panther, Black Klansman, <sighs> Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma. A Star is Born and Vice. Yeah. Now, there's two that stand out to me that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, I know, I think they've, because there was this talk about the popular Oscar that they were going to bring in, blah, blah, blah. I think that's why Black Panther's there, to be fair. I think so. Uh, um, I mean, you know, it... Don't get it wrong, it was okay. It, it's not an Oscar-worthy movie. No. I mean, people go on and say, you know, it's the first comic book movie to be nominated, blah, blah, blah. You well, compare that... You, yeah. yeah, well, you compare it to something like The Dark Knight. Hmm. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's... Yeah, that should have, like... You know, it, for sure, yeah. it should have bloody walked to over it. Never mind being nominated. Hmm. You know, it's... It's okay, it was... I was, I'll, I'll be honest, I was quite disappointed in Black Panther. It was all right, but it wasn't... From, from, from an action point of view, it was very poor. Um, yeah. you know, that, whole, that whole final battle thing was, was just wank. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't win because I don't want it to become the crash of, of Oscar winners. You know, if... No, it, it won't. I'm sorry, but there's no way it will. Mm. Not a chance. No, I mean, not really. God, here we go. <laughs> Famous last words. Yeah, true, true. Commentator's uh, anyway, curse. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, it's it's an interesting group. I mean, there's, there's you know, even though I said oh, it's an open field, there are clearly about f- sort of five films there which are going to do very well on the night. You know, Green Book, Star is Born, mm. Vice. You know, um, the favorite. You know, uh, Roma, most likely. Yeah. Um, you but know. you know, I've got a feeling Bohemian Rhapsody is going to take it. I really don't think it should. But mm. with that win at the Golden Globes, it's right. just like, mm, it's is it going to get? It is usually a four. You know, a, um, it is a forerunner. Yeah. Isn't it, sort of thing. Yeah. So. But I'm quite surprised it won that, especially with all this this shit slinging yeah. about Brian Singer as well. You know, it's yeah. <clears throat> That's right. Yeah. No, I don't so know. Um, yeah, that's piling on as well, isn't it? Yep, again. Anyway, so so that is a quick rundown of the um, the main categories for the Oscars. Um, let us know who you think is going to win. Uh, we will be doing our our own little poll. We'll be putting it on Facebook or um, yeah, on Facebook uh, eventually when we get round to it. It's <laughs> the format and everything. Um, but keep an eye out for that on the uh, Spoken Lambs Facebook page. Okay, let's move on to some other news. Um, this is a case of, um, I think, a, a situation being blown way out of proportion. And that is poor old Liam Neeson and his <clears throat> set of um, not-so-skilled interviews. Yeah, um, definitely. So in an interview... 
uh, Liam Neeson happened to mention that way back when, when he was a lot younger, uh, a close friend of his happened to be raped. Um, it was suspected that it was a black guy who did it. And he, you know, he felt so much sort of anger and rage inside him that he says, he, he, you know, he sort of roamed the streets at nights with a kosh, you know, hoping to sort of the guy who did it and sort of, you know, doing some black guy just for the hell of it. Um, you know, in the same interview, he sort of said how stupid it, it was that he did it. You know, he realizes obviously, you know, quite soon afterwards how stupid it was, and he, he deeply regrets. You know, even even being in that sort of situation, but of course that's not the bit that everyone's grabbed hold of. It's yeah. The other bit where, oh my God, Rick Leeson's the sort of racist vigilante <clears throat> around trying to kill black people. Um, yeah, obviously. You know, obviously, uh, couldn't be further than the truth. And unfortunately, you know, there, there's so much. Oh, it, it just annoys me. It really does. It's it's like. Like you say, it's been spun to me. It's been spun by the media who are focusing on one single part of the interview, completely ignoring the rest of it, where it turns around and says, you know, I'm deeply ashamed of feeling that way. It was wrong. It was 40 fucking years ago. Yeah. You know, and I'm not being funny. If someone... It's... He's promoting a film about revenge. Yeah, and exactly. was asked by the journalist, you know, how how do you get into character about that? Well, you know, everyone has gone through certain things like this. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, I mean, you well, make I mean, not you, not in this, not maybe not to that in, extreme, in, but but I mean, you're you've you've got an autistic child. Yeah. Yeah, as as have I, yeah. and you know, my my son's recently started a new school, and, and it plagues me, you know, the idea that sort of someone is going to try and pick on him or something like that, mm. you know, and I want to sort of pounce on anyone who does, you know, come down on them like a ton of bricks, and, yeah. and it does it, it plays up my mind a lot. So I can imagine, you know, and and that's just the hypothetical, you know. Yeah. Whereas he was sort of presented with something which had actually happened. So, you know, it was a traumatic experience that, that, you know, a close friend of his had gone through mm. and it, it affected him, you know, and I can, I can imagine that sort of feeling of, you know, um, sort of helplessness and, you know, wanting to do something about the situation. Um, exactly. But then he says, you know, after a week, like a week, a week and a half, I was going on walks power walks just to get rid of the rage I, I didn't do anything he didn't actually do anything yeah you know he's thought about doing something and, and who hasn't even if you know a, a mate of mine's been i don't know jumped or had a kicking or something yeah you go looking absolutely it's it's yeah. It's just, you know, it's and just it, human and nature. It, it is. Yeah. It's even, and he's, you know, and he even says, you know, I felt ashamed of myself. I felt mm. ridiculous that I'd done something like that. And you know, it's not. Mm. All you, all you, when you've got John Barnes, mm. right? He was one of the biggest proponents of anti-racism in football, in the media. He was kind of, he was supporting you. Yeah, that does say something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's. I don't I know think... if you've um, I don't know if you've seen the latest news thump article. 
Yeah, that you shared. On. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I've mentioned, but yeah. I'm just gonna gonna read out part of it. So, um, it says explaining that you did something that you're not proud of in an honest and open manner is definitely not the best policy, according to Liam Neeson today. Yeah. Despite decades of people insisting that honesty is the best policy, Neeson can today confirm that being honest about an incident where where you regret your actions leads to nothing good. <laughs> He explained, I did something I'm not proud of at a time when my mind probably wasn't right due to a traumatic event in the life of someone close to me, but no one got hurt and I soon realised I was wrong. I'm ashamed of how I behaved. It turns out I should have kept my big mouth shut because stories about people realising they were behaving in a terrible way are clearly not something the public is ready for. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, that's a satirical take on it, but um, I think it rings true personally. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, I do as well. I really do. I mean, as soon as I, I think I, I got up the other morning and it was on TV. Hmm. I think I, when my daughter had gone to college and left the TV hmm. on, and it was just fucking good morning, Britain, right? And that prick, Piers fucking Morgan, hmm. is literally turning around and saying that Liam Neeson is worse than the Klu Klux Klan, or he's like a member of the Klu Klux Klan. It's like, are you having a fucking laugh? Yeah. You absolute bellend. Yeah, no, it's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely. Anyway, um, so he's got a new film out coming soon. Um, which is actually a remake of a, a Norwegian film, which I, I quite like with um, Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, see how it turns out. Well, I, I, I'll be honest, I, saw, I only saw the trailer when we went watching Glass last week. Hmm. And it seems a lot different from what I thought it would be. I was expecting, you know, a taken kind of thing like yeah. that. But it, it kind of looks like more along the lines of something like Fargo or... It is, yeah. You know, well, if, it, if it follows, because it's the same director who did the original version as well. Yeah. Um, and if it keeps the same sort of tone, it has this sort of, you know, quite a sort of comical, you know, it's a sort of very blackly comic sort of, um, sort mm. of take on things. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it was pretty good. So, so I'd be interested to sort of see how he handles it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. So, other news. Any any good news? Um, okay, Super Bowl trailers. Um, as I was saying, the you know, usually the Super Bowl trailers are worth sort of looking out for because, hmm. um, you know, the, the, the usually the big tent pole films for the summer get get previewed during the Super Bowl. But this year we just had Hobbs and Shaw, which was kind of scuppered because the, um, the the main trailer was released like three days beforehand. Then there was um, what else was there? There's a Twilight Zone TV series, something called. Yeah. Scary, 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 scary stories to, stories to tell in the dark. dark. Which I have no idea which, whether that's, you know, what, what <clears throat> audience that's actually aimed at. It could be like Goosebumps level or it could be sort of, you know. Sort no, of, I think it's it's going to be darker. I mean, cause it, it, the only reason why he said it's not yet rated on the trailers at the end of it, and I'm thinking it's Del Toro, it does look a bit freaky. Hmm. Rather than a kids' film, you know, it's... possibly, yeah, yeah, I think you're yeah. probably right. Um, what else is there? There's Twilight Zone with um, thingy from is it I can never remember, it's Key or Peel, Peel, Jordan Peel, Jordan Peel, that's right, yeah, and 
Oh, you know, um, bit, also bit, as well, there was bit of Miss Marvel. Us. Oh what? yeah, us. Now us. That us. that one really looked good. Okay, of all of them, yes. that's the one that made me go ah. As I mm. say, because you know, Hobbs and Shaw had, as I said, the, the full trailer had just come out like a few days before. Yeah, I mean, should have waited. But um, yeah. You know, I'm, I, I've never watched. I've watched the first one and that's it. So I, it it doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. Hmm. But us now, as you said, I wasn't the biggest fan of Get Out. Yeah, it was okay. It was enjoyable. It wasn't this mind blowing experience that everyone else thought it was. Hmm. But this looks like some fucked up shit. This looks really good. Yeah, is is it from Jordan Peele as well, or was it somebody else? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Right. No, it's Jordan Peele. He's everywhere at the minute. He is a bit. Yeah. He really is. Because yeah. the other guy, I mean, um, he's in that TV series Friends from College, which we started watching on on Netflix. That's, that's quite good. I'm not. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't really. I've never really seen Keen Peele. Oh, um, I only really know him from yeah. A, you know, Get Out and the, the best thing. Stuff like that. Just just go on YouTube and find and just you know they got all the sketches on YouTube. Um, mm. And one of them just kills me. It was the um, what's it called? Someone like the, the the sex investigator or something. And he because he, he, he's dressed like um, David Caruso in like CSI. <laughs> but he's and he, he's trying to sort of sort out this this crime scene. He's like sensing what's what's happening, and, and he's he sort of just stopping to have a wank in the middle of it. <laughs> It's absolutely brilliant, um, but you know the other things like you know sort of Black Hitler and all this sort of stuff. They 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 are really good. They're worth sort of checking out on them on, yeah. on YouTube. Um, yeah. So yeah, a bit you know a bit sort of lackluster. I thought trailer wise. Other than that, um, us uh, Captain Marvel, of course. Um, yeah. Which is probably well, it's only a couple of months away now. I think isn't it? Or does Infinity March. Which comes first, Endgame or... Um... Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. I suppose that makes Captain sense. Captain Marvel is beginning of March. Endgame is now 24th of April. They've moved it forward a day. All right. Over here, apparently. Good. I'll be... I think you should get midnight screenings. Yeah. I'll be back fair. in the UK by then, so that's good. Um, yeah. So that was the trailers. I mean, um, I'm just trying to think. Was any other trailers dropped? I don't think so. I, no, I can't think of anything else, really. Mm. Apparently, the uh, Charles Play remake is dropping trail on Friday. All right. Which That's could be interesting. interesting. Yeah, because, you know, the Charles Play series, I haven't really sort of followed much, but um, of, of the sort of original ones, the only one I'd seen was Bride of Chucky. Mm. I think it's sort of Charles Play 1, 2, and 3, I hadn't bothered seeing. Then I saw Charles um Pride of Chucky, and then I missed the sort of the next one. But the last two were fantastic. They were really good. Yeah, they were yeah, they really were. good. Um, but I'm surprised. I mean, you know, I suppose thanks to Halloween, you know, sort of um, a bit more a bit of a resurgence sort of going on with these sort of um, characters. So yeah, mm. just well, see it. In the, in the it's one of them hmm. because for doing the the movie hmm. with Aubrey Plaza and all that lot, but. Is it, is it Don Costarelli, the original creator? Yeah. He's doing a TV series now. Oh, bloody hell. With it as well. <laughs> so, that's overkill now. Mm. Yeah, so I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see how that goes. Which ones, yeah. 
Anyway, no, that was interesting. Yeah, I think we'll uh, draw a line under the news for this week. The Smoking Lambs Top 5. Okay, it's time for the top five. And as usual, um, we're going through all the different years, picking a film from each that we think is the best of that year. And this week, we're starting with 1995 and rocking down to 1991. Now, um, I think for all of these, bar one, it was really, really difficult to choose just one film. Um, and And for every year apart from one, I've put down... It's my favourite and, and a runner-up, basically. Um, I'll be honest, most of them I were okay with. Yeah, but it's nine, just the 91, last one. Ninety, we'll get on to ninety-one and why? Why? why yeah, yeah. Why we both have a bit of a problem with it? Okay, so let's kick off with nineteen ninety-five, and uh, my favourite film of that year is Rob Roy. Just kidding, Josh. <laughs> of course, it's not <laughs> Rob Roy. <laughs> It's Heat, the Michael Mann film with uh, Robert De Niro and uh, Val Kilmer. And if I did have a runner-up for that year, it would have been Desperado, uh, the film that introduced uh, Mm -hmm. Antonio Banderas to American audiences and also Selma Hayek, of course. Lovely. Mm -hmm. And yours? Um, No, also Desperado is a cracking film. Um, It's one I've not seen for a long time, but I remember just absolutely loving it when it came out. Uh, And I have mentioned it on here before, uh, Mute Witness. Oh yeah, yeah, good film. Yeah, about cracking a woman, film. A woman who um, stumbles upon a snuff movie being filmed. Uh, yeah, on the a, film set. Makeup artist, remember correctly? That's right. Yeah, yeah. makeup artist and uh, working on a film set, um, and happens to come back after hours and find somebody's using their film set for a, uh, is, a snuff movie. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, uh, cracking little film. Yeah, cracking little film. Okay, nineteen ninety four. For me, there's there's only one real choice, and that's Pulp Fiction. Um, this is a <laughs> film that really sort of put Tarantino on the map. I mean, he was a he was a, um, a critic styling for Reservoir Dogs, um, but this is the film that really sort of put his stamp on everything. I, I remember seeing this at the cinema, and me and my two friends came out, and we were still giggling. You know, just, just this sort of <laughs> nervous giggle, like what the fuck was that you know we just seen ving rames getting raped up the arse bent over um <laughs> some sort of you know hobby horse or something it's like what the fuck yeah crazy <laughs> absolutely loved it uh for a kind of a runner-up um because it was just sort of so emotionally resonant at the time and that was um the crow um yeah it's sort of brought a tear to the yeah end, sort of right from the start yeah. anyway steve what's yours Nine four, gotta be clerks. Clerks, right? <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. It, was, it, it was, was, was ninety-five um, mole rats. Did mole rats get yeah. ninety-five? Yeah. Yeah. And he chose but, mute witness over that. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> mole rats isn't one of his best. Oh, I mean, I know a lot of people do. I mean, I do like it. Don't get me wrong, mm. but I mean, it's no Jersey Girl or like yoga horses, but mm. it's yeah, it there was. There's too much dialogue, but Clerks is just, yeah, you know, to go out there with 27 grand on credit cards and film it, you know, people say, make a film or make art about what you know, and that's what he did, hmm. and it's, it's, it's still, I mean, it looked dated at the time, but it does look a bit dated now, but hmm. 
still, it's just a dialogue. It's just so funny. It's yeah. absolutely hilarious. It is. And, you know. and what's more, when he when he did Plucks 2, he did do a worthy follow-up. Um, it yeah. Was, it was sort of well, a perfect sort of film to, to follow up with. It's it's... It probably is my favourite film, Girls Clutch too. I absolutely love it. It's one of them I can stick it on whenever. Hmm. You know, it's it could be two weeks since I watched it, it could be a year, and I can just stick it on at any time and just just laugh my ass off. But you've also got that just emotional beat at the end with Jeff Anderson oh, in the yeah. prison, and it's like it kills me. It <laughs> really does kill me. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a really really good moment. Right, uh, 93. Interesting year. Okay, so uh, my number one film for... Was it 93, we said? Yeah, 93. Demolition Man. Right, okay. I saw this quote before, yeah. (laughs) So this is is sort of... This is Stallone's follow-up to Judge Dredd, and it is the film that Judge Dredd should have been, really. Um, Was it? Yeah. Pretty sure. I thought Judge Dredd was after. I thought this was the one after Cliffhanger. No, I think I think Dread came out. Bef- no, actually, you might be right. Dread might have come out afterwards. I'm gonna double check that as well now. Uh, <laughs> Ninety five was Judge Dread. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so this, is, this is earlier. Yeah, so so, but this is the, this is a much better film. Um, oh yeah, is, yeah, we've like all of his powers. Um, Stallone was doing really well, and of course, it introduced uh, Selma Hayek as well. Um, she was pretty much unknown at the time. Sandra Bullock. Did I say Selma Hayek? You said Selma Hayek. I said Selma Hayek. <laughs> okay, that was that was a definite malapropism. That was. Um, <laughs> Yes, I definitely meant Sandra Bullock. <clears throat> yes, and she was incredibly cute in that film. Yes. Uh, and what's yours? Yep. Um, feel the rhythm, feel the ride. Cool Runnings. Absolutely <laughs> legendary film. I've never seen it all the way through. Oh, I've just you seen are like the last five it. minutes. No, I've never, never. It never appealed to me. Oh, it's hilarious! It never appealed to me at all. I, I mean, may, I, I may have to sit down and watch this. I think you will. I'll, I'll tell you what. I think Josh would love it as well. Hmm. I really do. It's so funny. I mean, it, it was one of them. Every time there was like, <clears throat> you know, end of year at school or whatever. Yeah. You know, they wheel the video player in on the big, you know, the big TV on the trolley and stick this on, and it, it's a classic. It's an absolute classic. It's so funny. It's probably my favourite John Candy film. Mm. Okay. I shall have to put this on the list of films that I've You've got to. You've got to. All right, where are we down to? Okay, 1992. 1992. Um, okay, this is pretty easy for me. Uh, um, this was Last of the Mohicans. Two Michael Manson in one section. Yeah, exactly. Two, two Michael Mansons. <laughs> um, this is probably. I'm only, sure I think. Only one of two films with um, Danny Doug Lewis that I actually like. Uh, this one and Gangs <laughs> in New York. Um, this introduced uh, Wes Studi as well and Madeline Stowe. Um, and it has an absolute mm. cracking soundtrack as well. I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, I, I just really, really like this film. It's. I'm trying to remember if I've seen it or not. Hmm. It's a long film. I will give it that. 
<laughs> you know, I don't think I have, you know. No? Oh, well, there you go, then. I think I've seen bits and bats, you know, yeah. like the waterfall bit and... Oh, yeah, because that's a very often copied part of, you know, any, any yeah. yeah, I will find you, that, you know, I've, I've come across that in loads of films. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very, very good. Well, what's yours? My, my, my nine ninety two film. You you just mentioned it earlier on. It was first one I done. Ah. Um, blew me away. It was just <clears throat> such a good piece of that one location hmm. filming, and it was tense. It was dramatic. There was everything. There was the ultra violence with. You know, that you don't see with the ear. Yeah. Um, amazing soundtrack. Amazing characters. And it still holds up as probably probably my favourite Tarantino film. Yeah. I'd, I'd say mine was Pulp Fiction. But, yeah, mm. no, it, it's good. I mean, again, you know, I remember, I remember going to see this at the cinema. And um, there was so much hoo-ha over this film. Because it, originally it... it wasn't allowed a um, a home video release because no, it was a, it was it a was... huge furor over like video you know video violence and things like so this and um, um, natural born killers well, was... uh, bad lieutenant you know all these sort of films uh, which were yeah, it was... <laughs> the other one the one that really gets me hmm. was um, dirty weekend. The oh, weekend, the, the Michael winner, one. Michael winner, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but even even films like. Um, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja <clears throat> Turtles got butchered over here because nunchucks and throwing nunchucks. stuff, you know, were all banned. Yeah. But then, you know, you had like um, 1492 came out, the, the, you know, the film about Christopher Columbus. Oh, fucking hated that film. I actually liked it, especially the soundtrack up by Vangelis, but I, I digress. Um, so, but that had so much violence in it. it had people getting their hands chopped off, people mm. being, being graphically, you know, hung by the neck and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, and I oh don't know that, well, that's a historical film, so that's okay. So, you know, that gets yeah, it past. Yeah. But, um, well, yeah. it was one of them. <clears throat> I actually went watching that when I was in Slovakia mm. making the movie, yeah. right? And there's about 10, 15 of us went watching it. Right, and we're all sat there, and by the end of the film, there was me and Joss Ackerman left, and that was it. Everyone else was fucked off, and I'm like, I don't know why I stayed. I just thought, oh, let's have a lot to go back to hotel, so I'm out to stay. Oh, it was awful. Okay, so 1991. Now the thing is, I mean. With the other years, because what, what I was doing with this is I typed in films of 19 blah, blah, blah into yep. the, the internet. And it came up with a whole list, you know, a whole row of images of films which were released in that year. It's like the covers, or the, the posters. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty easy for 90, 95 down to 92 to go instantly yeah. There, that that one, you know, that's that's the one that jumps out at me. That's the one I remember as being a damn good film from that year. When you get to ninety one, it gets silly because yeah, you have this following list of films. Okay, in no particular order, we've got Seagal yep. in uh, Out for Justice. We've got Van Damme in Double Impact. Both are sort of like on the definite on the rise of them. You've got mm. one of the best Star Trek movies, Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. 
uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, The Last Boy Scout, which is Bruce Willis at his prime, yep. Hudson Hawk, okay, not the best film, but it's still a very entertaining <laughs> film. Um, do you know, the, the only thing that actually spoils that film is Sandra Bernard. <clears throat> Everything else more or less works with Sandra I'll, Bernard. I'll be honest, it has been it has been a long, long while since I've watched it. I saw I saw that one at the cinema as well. I think it was like one of six people in the screen. Or whatever. Um, also had the Rocketeer, which was like a film, be, you know, ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Basically, is um, a film about um, you know, sort of going back to the, the Rocketeer. Old, yeah, you know, those sort of radio sort of serial stories and things. Yeah, Thel- just... Thelma and Louise by um, uh, Ridley Scott. You know, um, yeah. Cape Fear, Scorsese, Silence of the Lambs, Terminator mm. 2, Judgment Day, and yep. Point Break. Now, Point Break is the one I've actually chosen out of that lot, believe it or not, beating, for my money, Terminator 2, um, because it gave us Johnny Utah and Bodie, the, the, the best love interest of um, sort of 90s, basically. Um, yeah, it was, and, you know, it's um, Catherine Bigelow, so there you go. Anyway, yeah. what, what, out of that list, is, is yours in there? Right, there's two. I've, I've got three here, right? Mm-hmm. And I can't decide. And oh, shit. I think I might go with the one that you didn't mention that I've got. Alright. Just because you didn't mention it. And what's that? <sighs> In fact, yeah, I'm going to have to, because it is the one I've seen the most out of all of them. So, yeah. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> the original uh, animated one. None of this reimagined bullshit. I, I, I could now hear Josh screaming across the ocean. Beauty and the Beast! Beauty and the Beast! <laughs> How could you forget that? And he's actually... He's actually He's actually out in the Magic Kingdom as well, right now. I know. <laughs> I mean, yes. like you say, I went looking, and it, it, I was looking for it, and it's like, oh, 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 and it, yeah. why there's so many good films come out that year? I know, it's It's, it's unbelievable. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, um, but you're absolutely right. But yeah, um, I've got to go with that. Yeah, I mean, that was, I think that was the moment that really sort of changed Disney's fortunes, because... Well, that that and the the Little Mermaid that came out before. Yeah, yeah. But you know, up to that point, you know, um, Disney was basically chucking in the whole animated movie Mm. sort of thing. Um, Yeah, so I think the one the ones before was like the rest was down under or something like that, and it. Yeah, I mean they had like Oliver and and Company, and yeah, Rescue was down under, and Black Cauldron, you know, sort of the most forgettable. Disney movies ever, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Beauty and the Beast just really turned it around. Um, yeah, you're right. It's, it is a phenomenal film, and I, I'm, I'm sort of like admonishing myself for not mentioning it in my list. Actually. <laughs> I must have just totally overlooked it. Um, okay, so yeah, that's our rundown of uh, 95 to 91. By the way, how old were you in 91? Um, 10, 11. 10, 11. I'm wondering how much further we can go back with you. <laughs> you, know, you can dig out another five years of films for the next episode. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Right. Easy. Cool. Um, uh, I might struggle when we get to, like, 60s and 70s, but... Mm. 
Yeah, seventies oh, yeah. really hard for for a lot of people. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so we will be going on from uh, nineteen ninety down to nineteen eighty six in the next episode. The Smoking Lambs movie reviews. Okay, so here we go. With our first review of the week of our two Netflix originals. Um, the first one is going to be Velvet Buzzsaw. Now, after a series of paintings by an unknown artist, I discovered a supernatural force and actual revenge on those who have allowed their greed to get in the way of art. Now, coming from Dan Gilroy, uh, director of Nightcrawler and also starring Jake Gyllenhaal, I think a lot of people were thinking it'd be more along them lines, but it's, it's not really. It's <clears throat> I don't know. It's a film of two halves to me. Hmm. Um, the, um, yeah, because I, th- I think the sort of supernatural bit is is kind of it, it takes a back seat for a lot of the film, doesn't it? Yeah, it just seems to come out of nowhere hmm. halfway through, and you know you could say the other bit's just establishing characters and blah blah blah, but it's all. Hmm. It's it's like I said to you, it's like an art version of the Neon Demon. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, for my money, I, I think know. It, play, it plays more like <clears throat> uh, the player, you know, with um, mm. um, t- Tim thingy, Tim Robbins. Um, yeah, it's a film that sort of reminded me of because because it is, you know, it's it's more about the this sort of. Um, this, you know, the art world, this sort of very sort of nouveau rich kind of environment. Uh, we've got uh, Jake Gyllenhaal playing an art critic with the unlikely name of Morph van der Volt, mm. um, who's sort of very <laughs> prominent. He's, you know, he's a very well received critic. Uh, he's friends with um, Redora Hayes, who's um, played by Rena Russo, and she runs a talent agency for um for artists uh and working for her is a woman called josephina who morph happens to be having an affair with um and josephina happens upon this hall of um art by her um her neighbor upstairs who's just died basically yeah um so she she swipes the art because he was throwing it out anyway and then um you know, she invites her boyfriend Wolf over to have a look at it. Then Rodora gets involved and wants a piece of the action. And all of a sudden, they're selling these pieces of art for like five to ten million dollars um, a slot. Um, and then yeah. there's more. You know, there's even more to the situation because you know you got John Malkovich as another artist who um, has some brilliant scenes in it. Um, there's another. Yeah, I know what you say. Malkovich is great in it, but again, it not necessary. It doesn't bring anything to it, really. No, it's just another face, you know. I mean, it's, it's just, just another, yeah, just another uh, sort of known face. Um, you know, Tony Collette again, you know, playing Gretchen, who's a um, she was working for what this museum, and then um, sort of sells out and goes to work for a collector, um, getting pieces for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and it's all about these characters and their sort of interaction and this sort of sort of the venomous nature of of the the world they're sort of working in. Um, you know, at one point they. Um, Rodora conspires to have some of the art hidden away in storage to sort of try and keep the demand up, you know, and sort of things like this. So, that, you know, in like 10 years' time, they go, oh, yeah, by the way, we've got some more of this guy's art for sale, you know, and, and people will go for yeah. it. Um, 
but yeah, the sort of relationships. So there, it was it's definitely a black comedy. You know, there's, there's some really funny bits in it, like when um, when Morph goes around to Josephina's house because um, somebody's just died, and then as she's <laughs> as she's talking to him and saying, "You really shouldn't just pop around like this," because like you know she's got a new boyfriend in the kitchen, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, all this sort of stuff going on. Um, yeah, no, I mean there are some, the the horror elements are. Uh, you know, pretty straightforward, really. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, you can see them when they start happening. You can see them, or what's going to happen at the end of it, coming a mile off. Yeah. Apart from the very last shot, hmm. or the very last thing up, because that that one kind of like, whoa, hang on. Um, but yeah, I just found it all very. I mean, I, I presume that's what he was going for, but. Very superficial, very lightweight, very... Didn't give a shit about the characters, in a way. Hmm. It's, it's, it's all very soap opera-ish, I think, you know, in a way. But And, and it's yeah. like, well, he, he could easily have made this film without the supernatural bits. Because it's so yeah. incidental. You know, he, he could have just had this... It, it's, it's a bit like... Um, what's that film? Uh, Nocturnal Animals. In that result, you know, uh, I think mm. it's, it's like, well, you don't really need that element to it. If you, you know, you, you could easily do it without. I mean, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. I must admit. Um, I mean, I wouldn't it was. say it was. I wouldn't say I was bored, but I wouldn't say I was elated. You know what I mean? It was very hmm. kind of middle of the road in a way. I, I don't know. It just. It is a very niche film. I mean, I, I can see why Netflix, yeah. why it ended up on Netflix, because it is just so, you know, it it, it would really struggle to find an audience at the cinema. Yeah. Um, you know, except like maybe in a few art houses, um, sort of cinemas across the country or something. But yeah, it's um, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to do better on Netflix than it would if it had a theatrical run. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and the name Velvet Buzzsaw relates to the the all girl punk band that Rene Russo's character was in uh, back in the seventies before she sold out, and she had this sort of tattoo on her back, which plays a part later on in the film. Yes, it does. It does. Okay, so if you're going to score this out of ten, what would you give it, Steve? Um, I'll give it a five. I think I'm going to agree with you. Uh, I was thinking, yeah, I'm going to go up a bit higher, but no, I think the five is, is about spot on for this. It's definitely watchable. It's definitely worth a look. Um, it's there on Netflix. You know, um, you're not paying any extra for it. And it's it's like nothing you've probably seen sort of this month. Yeah. Our next review is Polar in this one. Um, <laughs> I need to call him Viggo Mortensen. Okay. <laughs> in five. Our next review is Polar, in which Mads Mikkelsen stars as a top assassin who's approaching a retirement. But unfortunately, his boss has no plans to let him retire and instead plans to knock him off before he can collect his substantial pension. Um, so in the end, 
Mads ends up sort of squaring off against a whole bunch of supposedly colourful, playful characters that we're that are supposed to be endeared to the audience, but in fact just wind us up no end. This is definitely a film of two halves, uh, um, Steve. On the first, yes, hand, um, he pushes the envelope too far with a style. It heads towards. It's trying to be the losers, but ends up being like the other side of. Um, um, what's that bloody film Joe Carnahan did? Smoking Aces. Yeah. Know, it's trying okay. to be all that. It's like, yeah, we're all really flash and everything, and we're going to freeze frame people's names across the screen because it looks cool. Except it doesn't, because that shit went out the window 10 years ago. 10 fucking years ago, The Losers came out, and that was the last time anybody tried that bullshit. Um, yeah, you've got these totally unlikable characters you know, trying to be all zany and nasty and stuff, and it's just like, great. So I was quite pleased when Mads Mikkelsen got rid of them all in one scene, basically, in one yeah. sort of, one sitting. You know, this <clears> whole build-up, oh, these guys are nasty, these guys are really cruel and everything. But no, no, Mickelson's the man, he, he gets rid of them. And he has to face off against, of all people, Matt Lucas. Matt Lucas, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> Matt Lucas. Wait, I'm sat there <laughs> yeah, I'm, he, he's, he's the big baddie, and I'm sort of like, what the fuck? Where's this come from? But, right, <clears throat> like I was saying to you the other day, hmm. it is, it's like three films in one, in a way. You've got the cartoonish violence and the Matt Lucas going completely overboard. Hmm. Then you've got Maz Mikkelsen acting all hard nut and you know doing what he does and and then you've got Vanessa Hudgens coming in yeah as this dour miserable neighbour living across the way and you're thinking well what relevance has she got which is revealed right at the very end again yeah more or less in like the last shot and it it's enjoyable, but it's very, very uneven. Yes, definitely. It, it's uneven. all over the place. You know, you've got... <clears throat> I mean, right. It's directed by Jonas Ackerland, yeah? Mm. Which I didn't realise until right at the very end. And it kind of makes sense in a way now. Um, he used to do a lot of music videos. Yes, that's right. Like, loads of music. Early 90s and stuff. Yeah. And... You know, he's, he's the guy who did a smack my bitch up for the prodigy right. and stuff like that. Yeah, you can definitely see that. And yeah, exactly. You can see that straight away in the first scene. You know, we, and you think of and it's the cast is really good as well. And it's just you're going from a scene of absolute over the top cartoon violence. Yeah. To some of the nastiest shit you're going to see outside of a hostel movie. Yeah, yeah, and it's. Don't get me wrong. I would again. I was never not entertained, hmm. but it is just all over the place. And another thing as well that really, I'm, I'm thinking, is Maz Mikkelsen really in this film? <laughs> is this really the type of thing that he he would be doing? Hmm. And I'm like, have they got something on him or whatever? <laughs> but he's the executive producer. Yeah. 
He looks. He's good in this. That's you know. No, he's he's great. I mean, it, I've never seen him bad in anything. That's true. Yeah. It's like an eighties throwback. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like I said, you know, when I said like the style of it is 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 very much like early, you know, from the late late nineties, early two thousands, almost. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's that sort of like yeah, we're trying to be really flash and all this sort. Of, really zany with this sort of colour scheme and everything. Actually, t- talking about this colour scheme a bit, um, you know, as, as if the character that, that he's playing couldn't be more John Wicky, mm. the colour scheme in the film and on the poster is aping the oh, colour yeah. scheme in, in John Wick 3. You know, that, that's, yeah. you, know, the, these, you know, these sort of deep purples and dark blues and everything, that, that seems to be the new thing. Yeah, you know, whereas before it was all like, was it teal and blue, wasn't it? You know, so like or, or, orangey teal and sort of, uh, you know, icy blue for all the posters and everything. But now it's all sort of purples and dark blues and things. Um, you know, it's all for, it's sort of very neon and whatever. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely a sort of nod towards that sort of film, you know, especially with the sort of whole retired assassin kind of thing going on. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And the bit with the dog earlier on, you know, you you could almost sort of say that was a direct nod to to the uh, John Wick franchise. Um, The the, the final scene, I mean, I must admit, I thought it was going to end on a really dour note, um, the way it was setting up. But the final scene did remind me of uh, the very end of um, Three Billboards. Yeah, can't, yeah. In a way. You know, there's, I there's get where you're coming from with that, yeah. Yeah, you know, these, these two people who have a lot of differences, shall we say, uh, sort of kind of sort yeah. of coming together and sort of finding finding a new path where they can actually sort of coexist which which I thought was quite mm. a nice nice way to end it you know um yeah, yeah the whole thing with the flashbacks and stuff you know because it never made anything clear at all you know what was really going on until sort of that very end you know it was just so much yeah which we, we're supposed to sort of care about and we just don't because it didn't sort of really give it the the, the sort of screen time to flesh it out Right. Yeah, yeah. But cool gloves, though. How are you going to score it? Uh, give it a six. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 it's definitely a step up from Velvet Buzzsaw uh, in the entertainment stakes, uh, but it is just just totally all over the place. I can see why, again, why Netflix picked it up, because it's you know it's very much in that sort of John Wick vein. Um, you know, Mads Mikkelsen is, is great in this. Um, you see a lot of his arts mm. as well, if, if that's sort of your thing. True, yeah. He's got a peachy bum. Yes. Yeah, sort of uh, endure the, um, the, the so-called zany characters um, until they're all dead and then sort of enjoy the rest of it. Um, yeah. Apart from the torture bit. Anyway, yes, so sixes for Polar. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Smoking Lamb Podcast on iTunes. Okay, it's time for our third and final review of the week, and that is Glass, the latest film from M. Night Shyamalan. Now, if you remember <laughs> way back when, um, there was a film called Unbreakable, in which Bruce Willis played David Dunn, um, who discovered that he 
well, it's kind of unbreakable. Um, and it's some yes. sort of looks, at him, looks at him as being some sort of superhero. Uh, not only is he unbreakable, but he can also sense other people's actions and, and their thoughts just by touching them. And he discovers that Elijah Price, a.k.a. Glass, who is a suffers from uh, a brittle bone syndrome, is actually an evil criminal mastermind who had um, sort of like done all these deep, deadly deeds around the city. Now, flash forward to two years ago, when we had the film Split, starring James McAvoy as the Horde, a group of um, well, a one person suffering from uh, multiple personality disorder, um, including the Beast, who's um, everyone's sort of afraid of, uh, when he actually physically transforms himself into some sort of mutant, sort of flesh-eating creature. Um, and it turns out that both these creatures, or, or the, the Horde and David Dunn and Elijah Price, all exist in the same world, thanks to a very throwaway two-second um, scene at the end of Split, which was enough to get this great piece of shit greenlit. Um, <laughs> so M. Night Shyamalan went, yes, that's the plan all along, that I was going to do a trilogy of these films and i'm not really just struggling to sort of stay relevant um so he's he's put together this film in which um david dunn and elijah and the horde end up being captured um by dr ellie staple um played by sarah polson of um, american horror story fame um who's trying to to convince them that no you're not superheroes and supervillains you just damaged mentally ill people um and of course you know um so samuel L. jackson's character uh, elijah is is obviously in a sort of catatonic comatose state in his wheelchair but somehow he's sort of getting around the hospital as well um I, I'm, I'm just going to throw it over to you what do you think Right, okay. Like as I said, as I was saying, I think the Smoking Lamb were the only ones who gave Split a bit of a critical kicking. Yep. I don't think any of us are impressed. Apart from James McAvoy. Yes, that's right. Who again is phenomenal in this film. Absolutely incredible film. I, th- I think he's one of the best British talents we've got at the minute. Yep, um I agree. With him, uh, possibly Tom Hiddleston, mm. and possibly Fastbender as well, which is why I think they work so well yeah. in the X-Men films. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it, it, it trundles along quite nicely. Mm. Um, I thought the beginning was quite good where, you know, David comes back and actually fights the Horde and then... I like the way that they actually got his son back. Yeah, and he's actually playing you know, the original the same, guy playing his son. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, I like the way they got him back, and I think the only one that didn't get back was um, Robin Wright, I think, who played his wife. Yeah. Um, Conveniently killed off but, before the film starts. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But, because I, I, I hadn't seen Unbreakable, and I watched it the morning before I went watching this. Oh, yeah. And. I found the pace completely different. Unbreakable is such a slow pace; it's untrue. Hmm. And there's, there's, there is a couple of good bits in there, but you get to the point where 
halfway through. I mean, it's on the posters and everything like that. Don't I? I will warn people now. I'm going to spoil the shit out of this. Yep. I really. We have um, to because it's such a shitty shit. A shitty, shitty, yes. Um, twist. Yeah, and you know you get to the point where they're all sat in the same room together, and she's banging on it and trying to convince them that they're not superheroes. They haven't got superpowers. They're just normal people who are fucked up. And I think this thing must must go on for about twenty twenty five minutes. Mm. Feels and like that, anyway. yeah, I mean, I understand maybe you you know you do it a bit longer to show that she's trying to get it into him that it's all fake and and it just takes you straight out of the film. That's and cool. then <laughs> the last the last twenty minutes hmm. is absolute bollocks. I'm sorry, but. Again, he's, it's like, just do a fucking ending. You don't have to have a twist. Yeah. Just finish a fucking film. <laughs> and not only that, on this one, you've got twist on twist on twist. So you've got him breaking out of of this the mental institution. Yeah. The, yeah, this island. Heading towards this new building that's going to be built. So you're thinking, right, okay. So they're going to end up having a big superhero scrap on this building. No, they don't. They end up having a big fucking superhero scrap in a car park. <laughs> in <coughs> a car park hmm. in the rain. Yeah. Not only that, okay, so it gets sh- James McAvoy gets shot because hmm. he can only he can only get shot when he's not the beast. Yeah. So what do they do? The girl from the from the last film. That's the reason why they bring her back into it, so she can calm him down. So he's not the beast. So bang, then they get shot. You've got Sam Jackson having the shit kicked out of him, falling out of his wheelchair and dying on the floor. Mm. That's two down. Then, then this the. Biggest insult I have seen in cinema in about the last four or five years. Sarah Paulson turns up. Not only is she a supposed psychiatrist, she's a part, a member of a secret secret organisation who are going around dealing with superheroes, convincing them that they're actually not superheroes comes out of fucking nowhere. And then what do they do? They drown Bruce Willis in a fucking puddle. Yeah. Because he's afraid of water, isn't it? Yeah. This is his um his kryptonite as it were is supposed to be running water or something stupid like that. So Yeah but five minutes earlier he's in a big massive tank. Kill him off in that, not drown him in a puddle. Yeah. Which brings us on to the sort of the um, the actual ending of the film, where uh, it, it turns out this was all kind of some sort of master plan by Samuel L. Jackson to try and blow the lid off the whole super, yeah. superhero thing. Um, and it, I think the film ends with Bruce Willis's son and Elijah's mum uploading video onto YouTube or something to show the world that superheroes really exist which just says to me that M. Night Shyamalan mustn't watch a lot of YouTube or read a lot of comics 
Because, no, clearly not. Because if he thought this is going to be the oh the real you know the game changer kind of thing, you know, I mean, for one thing, the number of films I've seen, especially in the sort of sci-fi, where you know sort of a disparate group of people um, going to sort of get the message out to the the to everyone, you know, they're going to stick it mm. to the man and sort of like blow the lid off. You know, Serenity did it. So um, Johnny Mnemonic did it. Oh, you know, lo- loads mm. of, even Strange Days was sort of heading that way. You yeah. Know, lo- yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, uh, do you remember a few years ago, there was a th- clip on YouTube, it was like a gag that somebody were would, would doing. They'd set up this coffee shop so that had like normal people in it, but they set it up so that, you know, this actress would pretend to be like a petulant customer, say, you know, say, you ruined my coffee or something like this, mm. and then start using her sort of psychic powers to sort of throw people against the wall and up the wall and all this. Oh, it was, it was when they did the, um, the remake of Carrie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, it was exactly for that. So, Imagine, you know, that clip was was is brilliant. I mean, if you know, if if you sort of take away the, the sort of behind the scenes stuff setting up, if you were mm. sat if you were sat in that in that coffee shop when it happened, yeah, that would be pretty damn spectacular, you know. Yeah. Um, the, the footage they actually sort of managed to upload, which I think has sort of somebody pushing over a van or or bending a an iron bar or something, you know, yeah. easily easily faked. On, on YouTube, you know, if some, somebody could easily do do that sort of shit. Um, so if you if you you know, either the world of glass and and split and all the rest of it must be the most mundane universe ever, where well, you know, the whole YouTube is just full of like literally full of cats and dog videos, you know, um, it or Shemilan just does not understand the internet or or comics or people. And I think a good example. I, I, I think he's that. Yeah, there's a, there's a scene early on where after uh, Bruce Willis's character is picked up by the cops and Sarah Paulson and, and taken to this mental institute, and his son races over there to sort of try and make a case for why his father happened to be there and all the rest of it, and they try to do mm. it in a funny way by having. Dr. Ellie Staple reread his statement while he sat there. So, you know, she's saying his words kind of in the way he, he's written them, but obviously with yep. a voice. So it's it's meant to be funny, you know, it's meant to sort of show how ridiculous his, the statement is. But it just comes across as just so fucking awkward and horrible. You know, mm. there's another scene where uh, I think it's one of the security guards gets in a conversation about vitamins with some guy yeah. who turns up. It's just some random conversation. Oh, how do you get up with those vitamins or something? And he starts talking to him for like five minutes about health food and all this sort of shit. It's like, oh, for God's sake, what's this got to do with anything? Nothing, yeah. as it turns out. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, as usual with him. Yeah. And having sort of Samuel L. Jackson having saying lines like, I'm a comic book expert. It's like, yeah. oh, God. And, and I think, if I remember rightly, the, what, one of the arguments is, or the proof for the characters that superheroes exist, is because superheroes in comics exist. Yeah, it's, um, it's all based on... Like, based on true stories that were told years and years ago that have been re- 
reinterpreted and all this lot. And it's like, really? There's no. So, so, <laughs> but there's, there's millions of comics and millions of stories. It's like, which one are you, you know, how do you sort of like pinpoint which ones are the true ones and which ones are the false? Oh, God, never mind. It's, I think we're wasting too much time on it. Um, mm. Yeah, basically, I think it's, you know, the, the comic book bits are incredibly pedantic. You know, we live in a world where everyone understands. You know, we, we live in a world where Marvel can release a two and a half hour film without any exposition to explain who its 20 yeah. plus characters are. It just yeah. says, there you go. Here we go. Yeah. I'm not going to explain. Yeah, crack on. And everyone just laps it up. You know, we're not in a world where you have to sort of say, aha, yes, this is going to be where we're going to have our climactic duel and all this sort of stuff. Oh, the, the big showdown, the bit the bit in the middle of the comics, you know, sort of the big splash yeah. piece and all this sort of stuff. It's, yeah, it's it's insulting at best and pedantic at worst. So, which I can yeah. think about the same for the film. Even even the bit with yes. the girl, you know, you know, the girl from the previous one, because the previous film ended on this horrible note where, you know, um, she'd been rescued from the horde and, and the beast and basically put back into the care of, of her abusive p- pedophilic um, uncle. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think, you know, we and maybe a few others gave Shem Island a bit of a kicking for that sort of ending. You know, yeah. Um, and and so sort of this, he sort of very sort of quickly goes, oh, yeah, I got, I got him arrested. Yeah, he, he's, he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know, obviously realize his mistake <laughs> there, you know, and sort of kind of written yourself into a bit of a corner. All right. So, well, um, go on. The other thing as well, why bring himself, his own character back yeah. in the shop? I know. Yeah, the security Oh, guard. I remember you. The security guard. Fuck. What? What's the point it's completely that? unnecessary, unneeded, and. Oh. Yeah. No. no. Right. We've given uh, Velvet Buzzsaw a five. We gave Polar a six. Where are we headed with Glass? Three. That's generous. Okay. No, no, because no, I think I think I think you're right because that's that's basically for McAvoy. Yeah, okay, McAvoy, and I must admit, there's one scene really at the beginning of the film where um, we we see these ki- you know these two kids mm. basically sort of beat up somebody in film that's like put it on YouTube and get some hits and all this sort of crap, and uh, Dunn goes to sort them out, and the way he does it, the way he enters the house and things like that, it, it's almost as if he's like. You know Michael Myers or something. Yeah. You know yeah. that bit is done really well. Um, it's just a real shame they don't do the rest of the film in that same vein. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's that's where we are. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so three, three for glass, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if we're the only ones who score it so low. Mm. I'm sure people will lap it up. <laughs> and that's the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, thanks, Steve, for. Doing double duties of uh, Josh and Ricky. (laughs) (laughs) Ricky has a glandular fever at the moment, unfortunately, so uh, we wish him well, and uh, hopefully he'll be back on soon. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, Josh is currently in the States, but we believe he'll be back in the UK uh, in time to record the next episode. So we'll welcome him back for a couple before he pisses back off down under. Um, Yay! Yeah. 
what's what's coming up next? I think it's Lego Movie Two, and Ooh. that's coming out this weekend. I think there's something else coming out shortly as well. It might be that fighting with my family. Yeah, mm. something along those lines. When's, when's Captain Marvel? Oh, it's uh, March, isn't it? Yeah, or or Battle Angel Lolita or whatever. Oh yes, that's out this week. Yeah, I do fancy that. <laughs> Okay, thank you for listening, everyone, and tune again next time. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Smoking Lamb Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry. Thanks for listening, and bleat the word.